welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fabulous Wednesdays. I want to tell you right off the top, go buy it. American Playbook, my newest book. It will be out August the 8th. There is an audio version. If you're not a reader, I want to make this the number one book in America. So far, I have not heard of anybody super, super famous who has a book being released on this day, which means I think we can make this book number one, make the New York Times have to put it number one because we sell so many copies of it. Again, the book, American Playbook, dive in today and be glad that you did. I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you will be entertained by it very much. Uh, all right, we got a bunch of stories out there. I watched the All-Star game last night. I believe this is the only day of the year where there's basically no sports on. Um, and uh, I watched the All-Star game last night, enjoyed it, uh, as I always do. Congrats on the National League getting the win 3-2. Uh, so that was basically it in the world of sports. Uh, although I did see, uh, I shared this, and we need to intermix this. Uh, I'll just go ahead and start off right here. OJ. O.J. Simpson, I told my wife this the other day, and she was like, you better not say that in public. So, of course, I'm going to say it in public. I, every now and then, every now and then, find myself uh, on O.J. Simpson's Twitter page. I followed him for a while. I got to be honest with you, I agree with O.J. like 90% of the time. If he hadn't killed those two people, I'd be like, you know, this O.J. Simpson makes a lot of sense. And Buck said, and I couldn't believe this, on the new Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, we were talking off air uh, during our radio show, he said that Arnold Schwarzenegger, initially they were going to make O.J. Simpson the Arnold Schwarzenegger character, but he was so well-liked, no one could believe that he would kill anyone. And so it ended up with Arnold Schwarzenegger in that iconic role of the Predator movie, if uh, if you remember that movie, and certainly any of you around my age who grew up watching it. Um, and I thought it was so interesting uh, because O.J. came out, and the reason I agree, I find myself agreeing with O.J. on a lot of things other than the double murder, is a lot of what he says is just common sense. And he came out and said that it makes no sense to have a uh, men being able to identify as women competing in women's athletics. And he said, look, if you really want there to be trans athletes involved, he said you could just do like in the uh, marathon, they have a male marathon winner, a female marathon winner, and then you could have a trans winner. Now, the reality is the trans winner would always be a dude pretending to be a girl. Uh, because there's never any woman pretending to be a man who could compete at a high level in men's athletics. And we had a story up on Outkick the other day, and I thought it was, uh, I thought it was perfect because there's evidently a, uh, a runner who identify, I don't, know, I don't know what her, him, whatever the name is, I don't know what her name is, but she says, I'm gender non-binary. And I can't even keep up with all this ridiculous phrasing, but gender non-binary basically means, hey, I could be a dude, I could be a chick. You never know with me. I'm a shapeshifter. Uh, I'm gender non-binary. But it's funny because the gender non-binary chick is always a chick on race day, right? It's like, I might be a dude today. I might be a girl. You never know. But wait a minute. 
you only run as a woman. If you were gender non-binary, truly, wouldn't some race days you wake up and be a dude? And then you would just run as a man and get absolutely smoked. Oh, the gender non-binary runner. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, she's a chick again. What are the odds? A hundred percent of the time on race days, she's a chick. Never wakes up and says, oh, I'm a dude today. I'm going to come in 48 out of 48 in the male race. Always a chick. And she wanted, she was like, this is it's a really big day. It's a really big day for people who are LGBTQ gender non-binary. I'm like, no, you're just a chick pretending that some days you're a dude. Like, this is not a big deal. But I thought that was funny. OJ, on the right side with trans issues as it pertains to sports. Wrong side, double murder, admittedly significant. Right side, trans issues. So far, Megan Rapino. Right side, no double murders. Wrong size, wrong side trans issues, for the record. Uh, shifting gears, fairly substantially. MSNBC, they have this show called Morning Joe. And it's Joe Scarborough in the morning, who used to represent the Florida Gulf Coast, I think. And now he, like, hangs out with Mika Brzezinski, I think is how you pronounce her name. I've never really watched this show. But we feature some of the clips on Clay and Buck because sometimes they say stupid things. Like, Morning Joe was like, hey, the reason I got COVID was because I hadn't gotten my eighth booster. I, I can't believe, I mean, this is what he said. Um, and so sometimes really stupid things get said on the show. We play it on, uh, play it on the radio show. So Mika who is, I believe, Joe's wife and the co-host of the program. She came out and went off. We played the audio earlier. Maybe we've got it. We can share it as a shorter-form clip here. She came out and said, Mika did, uh, that the Biden staffers were to blame for Joe Biden getting lost on stage, tripping and falling, and generally being incompetent. And I, I just, we've moved from... Oh, you're making this up. Remember when Joe Biden fell, uh, was it like a month ago, at the uh, commencement address that he gave at Air Force? Had the bad fall, tripped over the sandbag. Mika actually said the staff was to blame for having the sandbag on the uh, on the stage. Uh, she really said that because you, what you it's easy to fall, right? That's what everybody said on MSNBC. Right after Joe Biden fell, they were all like, well, so what? I fall all the time. I trip and fall all the time. This is exaggerated. Same people who were like, hey, Trump walked slowly down the ramp at West Point. We need to uh, go ahead and institute the 25th Amendment. Trump's overseas right now. He couldn't go out to the U.N. dinner. I mean, sorry, Biden's overseas right now. He couldn't go out to the U.N. dinner or whatever. And Biden, if you watch him, every step he takes, it's potential that he's going to fall. I watched him walking with Prince Charles. He had no idea where he was going. I think he then went to Lithuania, some country like Lithuania, if it wasn't Lithuania, and he walked with the Lithuanian president. And the Lithuanian president, I felt like, had to walk with him, like holding his elbow uh, to keep him from falling for this big NATO meeting. And we've now moved from, and this is significant, oh, you're just making it up, to... Oh, it's the it's the fault of the staff 
that Joe Biden is dealing with dementia and that he can barely walk. And where this is going to lead, I believe, is ultimately, as I've been saying, you for, to, saying to you for a while, Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee. And let me just bring this home for you. We probably see Joe Biden publicly for what? 5% of his waking hours? That is, 95% of the time that Joe Biden is awake every day, he's not publicly visible. And yet, even in that 5%, even in the 120th of the day that the public can see him, he's walking to get on an airplane, he's sitting with somebody in a, uh, in a room and people are yelling questions, he is signing something, he's delivering some limited address. Even in that very small portion of the day during which we can see Joe Biden, it is quite clear that he's not able to physically or mentally do the job. And what I suspect you will see soon, and this is why I think Gavin Newsom is doing the public events and everything else, is what I suspect is the behind-the-scenes stories of what is happening with Joe Biden are probably terrifying. Because if he's standing up on stage and he's asking where dead Congress people are, and if he's constantly falling and tripping and everything else again, we're only seeing probably 5% of his day in public. What is he doing in the other 95% of the day? What is he saying? Remember, we're not getting very many behind-the-scenes stories about Biden, and the ones that we do get try to make it sound like he's super competent. I bet behind-the-scenes stories are terrifying. In other words, if you were Joe Biden's valet, let's say, you were his body man, every, uh, every uh, politician has somebody, usually they call it a body man, you're with, I've done this job before. Uh, back in the day, I was the body man for Congressman Jim Cooper of Nashville. I would follow him around and try to help take care of issues. I would drive his car. You basically get to see what the job of a congressperson is like because you're on their hip. Usually, you know, you're 20 or 30 or 40 years younger. That's who, by the way, they charged alongside of Trump, this Walt Nada guy. He is basically Trump's body guy. You're trying to help out during the course of the day. You are basically the top assistant, uh, and you're right by the, the, the office holder all the time. Um, imagine what that person is seeing from Joe Biden. I bet if that person went public and said everything that they have seen over the last just six months, I bet there's no way to be able to defend that Joe Biden would be president of the United States still. So when you got MSNBC blaming the staff because Joe Biden can't walk, uh, things are uh, deteriorating quickly. And that ties in as well with the Biden grandkids story. Maureen Dowd over the weekend in the Sunday New York Times wrote a piece ripping Joe Biden for refusing to acknowledge Hunter Biden's illegitimate child, four-year-old who lives in Arkansas, it's gone beyond that, though. It's not just refusing to meet with her or ever interact with her, as you would hope most grandparents would do with their grandchildren. The Biden administration has specifically told 
everyone in the Biden White House to refer to him only having six grandkids, even though he has seven grandkids. And when you start seeing stories like this come out, and even left-wing media are ripping Joe Biden, it's important because it goes to the essence of the Biden argument. He said, look, I'll restore decency and normalcy to the White House. Um, and I am a grandfatherly, likable figure. All of that was what they tried to float. It's not true. It's not remotely true. And so when you start seeing the essence of Biden himself attacked, he's done. And I believe that at some point this fall, Biden will announce that he's not going to run for re-election in 2024. And that will then set in place the primary season where Democrats will be picking a new nominee. I just, I'm not sure, and I hate to say this, I'm not sure Joe Biden is going to be alive in November of 2024. I think he's that unhealthy. When you get to 80, you never know. I don't feel like there's any way possible that Joe Biden would survive. I don't think Joe Biden would survive through a next term. So I think at some point he would die during the term in office if he were reelected in November of 2024. I think he would die before January of 2029. And we would have to have a vice president, unfortunately Kamala Harris right now, step into office. So I think Democrats are becoming aware that Biden doesn't have the mental or physical capacity to be president. But when they start attacking the essence of the Biden argument, which is, hey, I'm a really good person. I'm a great loving father. I'm a great loving grandfather. Well, most grandparents out there refusing to acknowledge one of your grandchildren and refusing to allow that little four-year-old girl in Arkansas to even choose to use the Biden name if she so desired, that's not grandfatherly. That's not welcoming. That's not loving. That is the very antithesis of what Joe Biden has tried to sell himself to on the American public. And when your underlying rationale for leadership vanishes, I think that's pretty substantial. Uh, and I think that becomes very consequential. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Also, Bidenomics is broken. Highest rates of mortgages in over a decade. We're approaching 8% mortgages. Inflation is 3%, according to the number that came out today, which is better. But remember, you don't get to go back. That is, last year's nearly double-digit inflation is now baked into the equation. And I know a lot of you experience this. I'll tell you, I can't take my kids and their friends. I feel like Kanye and Gold Digger. Uh, now I got to take all their asses to showbiz. I got kids in my car going through at, uh, at McDonald's, going through at Raisin Cane's, I need to talk about Raisin Cane's, controversial opinion I shared, now have the best chicken tenders and all the fast food. It's 75 bucks every time I go through the McDonald's drive-thru and get my kids food now. It's unbelievable how much costs are up. You go to the movies, I know concessions have always been expensive. Dads and moms have been complaining about how much candy and popcorn cost for my whole life, probably your whole lives too. I spent $140. Now, I had six kids total, 
and my wife and me, there were eight of us, what, $140 on candy and popcorn going to see that Spider-Verse movie? I mean, we're talking about pretty crazy dollar figures. That inflation doesn't go away. Real wages are down. What do I mean by real wages? If you think, man, I don't feel like I have as much money in my pocket as I used to, you're right. Because your salary increases are not matching the overall cost increases from for consumers. So let's say you made a 5% raise over the Biden administration. That is, when he came into office, you now make 5% more than you did when he started. That's great, but your wage increase has not kept up with the overall rate of inflation. The real money in your pocket is down. It's not your imagination. You have fewer dollars in your pocket since Joe Biden became president than you did before. And then you also toss in the stock market, by and large, has been crappy. If you factor in inflation, the stock market is basically flat for the whole three years of Joe Biden's presidency, actually down in real dollars in the stock market, too. So you got your 401k down. You've got real wages down. You've got inflation way up and you've got mortgages way up. This is an unmitigated disaster as it pertains overall to Bidenomics, which is another reason I think Joe Biden is not going to run going forward. A uh, couple of other stories that are out there uh, that I think are uh, significant. The FBI, Christopher Ray testified earlier today on Capitol Hill. He got grilled. Here is what I, I, so I always think, what is the essence of a story? And a lot of you out there, you kind of hear different parts and pieces. Oh, Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, did this. There is a value in everybody just speaking because of the marketplace of ideas. It's so important. Everybody should speak. But oftentimes, you lose the signal for all of the noise that is out there. In other words, the din of constant noise can confuse you as to, okay, what's the most integral part here? I think that's a good question. You ask me, okay, what's the most integral part? And I'll get to this in a sec. I'll explain it to you. Of, for instance, the Trump legal process. I'll explain to you. Because you got to be able to cut through the noise and get to the centrality of an issue. And the centrality of this issue, as it pertains to the FBI, to me, are these facts that I'm going to lay out. In December of 2019, the FBI took possession of Joe Biden's, uh, sorry, Hunter Biden's laptop. December of 2019. Within a couple of weeks, they knew the laptop was 100% real. The FBI was in possession of that laptop by the, the new year. They knew that laptop was 100% real. It was Hunter Biden's. Everything on it was authentic, and they were investigating it for crimes. You and me and most of the American public did not learn about the existence of Joe Biden's laptop, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, in the campaign until October of 2020 when the New York Post story came out. So Hunter Biden's laptop in possession of the FBI in December of 2019. They know it's 100% real within 10 days, two weeks of taking possession of that laptop. 
You and I don't find out about it until October of 2020 when the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop comes out. In that interregnum, in that meantime, the FBI begins to seed the idea that the Hunter Biden laptop might be Russian disinformation and even briefs the week before this laptop story is going to come out, briefs Facebook, briefs Twitter, uh, briefs all of these Google big tech companies and tells them, hey, be on the lookout for a fake laptop story designed to influence the 2020 election that could be coming and be Russian disinformation. But the FBI knew that what they were briefing the big tech companies on was a lie because they knew that the laptop was real. Somebody inside of the FBI, and I think it should have to be Christopher Wray, knew that this laptop was real and then allowed the laptop lie, the idea that it was Russian disinformation, to be spread. And the data reflects that's the reason Joe Biden ended up getting elected, because if the American public had known the truth, they wouldn't have voted for Joe Biden. Still, majorities of Democrats believe the lie that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. The FBI still has not publicly come out and said, actually, the laptop's 100% real. The FBI, somebody ordered the code red to protect the Joe Biden campaign, to protect Hunter Biden. That is the most integral thing that must be explained. I can't trust anybody in the FBI until it's explained how did that happen and until someone is held accountable at the FBI for allowing this to happen, for using the lie of Russian disinformation, which the FBI knew was a lie because they were in possession of Hunter Biden's laptop and knew it was real, allowing that lie to be spread to aid and abet the election of Joe Biden. I don't need to know anything else. Certainly, Hunter Biden's been protected, but I want to know who ordered that code red. That, to me, is the essence of the FBI corruption. Who ordered that code red? Who made that reality happen? Um, okay, uh, this is funny. I saw this story. I couldn't believe it. Oh, well, let me go to Trump's legal strategy first. I've been telling you guys for a long time. Uh, Donald Trump should not stand trial until after the 2024 election. I don't think he's going to get convicted in South Florida. We'll see what happens with additional charges. Basically, what you've got is a paper dispute. And this is the essence to me of the Trump legal case. The Department of Justice is trying, Joe Biden's Department of Justice, is trying to put Donald Trump in prison for the rest of his life for a dispute about where and how papers were stored. Meanwhile, they are keeping Hunter Biden out of prison, despite the fact that he refused to pay millions of dollars in taxes and took direct payment from Chinese and Ukrainian interest. So a paper storage dispute, who gets to keep the paper and where is it stored, 
They're trying to put Joe Biden's chief political rival, Donald Trump, in prison for the rest of his life over that while protecting Hunter. Now, I think that Trump's strategy should clearly be to push this off as far as possible. And I think there's a good chance that Trump would certainly pardon himself. I think it's going to be challenging to convict him, but I think the argument that Trump is making that it's impossible to get a fair trial during a political campaign while he's being prosecuted by his chief political rival is accurate. And so I would be very surprised if these federal charges uh, are brought and take place before we actually get uh, through the 2024 election. Um, Casey DeSantis, labeled as a Karen on MSNBC. Now, I don't know Casey DeSantis great. I know her some. I like her. I think she's smart. I think she's an asset to Ron DeSantis. But irrespective of that, the use of the term Karen is designed to be a racial slur. It's a common name for a white woman, and it is almost always, at least that I've seen, applied exclusively to white women. There is no other name that would be directly associated with any other race that would be used as a stand-in for people of that race in moments of controversy. This wouldn't happen. And I don't even know what the most common Asian name is or the most common Hispanic name is or the most common black name is as a construct of the name itself. Meaning, you hear that name and you're like, oh, that name is probably somebody who's Hispanic. I don't know what it would be. Uh, I don't know what the Asian equivalent, I don't know what the black equivalent would be. I know that it would never be allowed. If you went on, let's say Michelle Obama uh, was was famous for, like something Michelle Obama did or said was famous, and somebody went on uh, uh, the uh, the news and said, oh, Michelle Obama She's the queen of the Shaniquas. If you're like, Michelle Obama, she's the queen of the Shaniquas. And whatever Shaniqua did was considered to always be condemnatory. That would be super racist. People would be like, ooh, man, that shouldn't be allowed. Yet, Casey DeSantis, oh, she's the queen of the Karens. This white woman is the most white woman imaginable. That's allowed? I mean, it's super racist. And it's designed to attack Casey DeSantis because she is an advocate and an effective one for her husband. And by the way, we saw this before. Melania Trump got dragged over the coals in a way that was profoundly unfair. So when you are getting attacked as a spouse of a candidate, um, it is a sign that the candidate himself or herself probably pretty good, probably a pretty good candidate because they're having trouble landing punches on that guy or girl, and so they come after the other side. Like, nobody talks. When's the last time you saw Kamala Harris's husband attacked? Almost never, right? Most of you don't even know who he is, what his name is. You know why that is? Because Kamala Harris is such a bad candidate that nobody needs to attack her husband. You just attack Kamala because she's such an imbecile. Nobody cares about her husband, right? Um, 
I, I, I think that's really kind of fascinating to contemplate. I saw this. I'm always thinking about where are you guys finding the videos? We've got 1.2 million Twitter follow. I mean, sorry, Facebook follow. Uh, 1.2 million YouTube followers as I speak to you right now. A lot of you are going to be watching this video on YouTube. Um, and I appreciate all of you. Click like and subscribe on uh, this show. And uh, click like and subscribe on the Outkick content overall. But I saw this from, uh, uh, from my friend Mike Mulvihill, who is super, super smart and very good at looking at data, analyzing it. I was talking earlier about the signal versus the noise and the challenges associated with that. Um, and he broke down the average audience the last 12 months, according to Nielsen. These are the people watching during the day at any given time during the course of that day, right? Um, so this is a, uh, a approximation of where people are watching video at any given moment of any given day. Um, on YouTube, just this United States, on YouTube, just shy of 5 million people at any given point in time during the day, an average of about 5 million people are watching YouTube. Netflix, four point, this is according to Nielsen, 4.31 million. YouTube, 4.98, number one overall. I said, my kids are always on YouTube. Unless I'm watching sports on television, they never watch sports on television. They wake up in the morning like you or I would have sat down in front of the television, put on Sports Center, maybe old school, pick up the newspaper, try to see who won. My kids watch highlights on YouTube first thing when they wake up for the night sporting events. Netflix, 4.3 million. CBS, Broadcast Network, for free, 2.36 million. Hulu, 2.12 million. ABC, 2.05 million. NBC, just under 2 million. Amazon, this surprised me. I knew Amazon was popular. I didn't know the total number. 1.66 million. Fox, 1.48 million. Fox News, which is by far the biggest cable channel, 1.34 million. Average number of viewers all day long watching. Disney, just uh, Disney Plus, just over a million. MSNBC, 757K. ESPN, 718K. Max, which is the streaming arm uh, now of the HBO universe, 707. Tubi, 561. Paramount Plus, 551. Peacock, 545. And CNN, 500,000. I would encourage you, we'll share this video breaking all this down, but it is interesting to me that YouTube and Netflix nearly combined have half of all of the video viewing going on on a day-to-day -day basis. YouTube is by far bigger than any of the traditional broadcast networks uh, that the streamers, Netflix, has a huge lead over Disney+, Plus, Paramount, Peacock, uh, and beyond, Max. I am just utterly fascinated by the way in which people consume video. A lot of you are watching this on Twitter. 
A lot of you are watching on Facebook, YouTube. We're everywhere. But it's so much different than it used to be, and it's evolving so quickly. And the ages, I guarantee you, you're the youngest audience watching us right now, 100% watching from YouTube. And this doesn't even consider TikTok or Instagram or any of those places where also a lot of you have watched. So anyway, just to think about, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, appreciate all of you hanging out with me. Uh, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, go buy the book, American Playbook, available August 8th. This has been OutKick, the show.